My name is Clark Freilich. And I'm Clyde Goff. And this is the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. In today's podcast, Clyde and I will be discussing creativity. What exactly do we mean when we say creativity? Everybody wants it, but can we teach it? Are our schools killing creativity? Welcome back from Thanksgiving break. Uh, how was your break? Uh, restful and uh, got got a chance to take some a little bit of time off. And yeah. Did you travel anywhere? We went to uh, Chicago for a real quick trip, um, and uh, uh, my wife Maria and I were at first we were going to go alone, but the kids became creative in their. Uh, Persuade, powers of persuasion and uh, finagled their way onto, onto the trip so Peyton and Kelby got to go too. Well Chicago is one of those places that uh, it's always a good place to go. Got a lot of good food, a lot of good places to visit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not a shopper but if you like to shop I suppose that's one of the places to go. Yeah absolutely. Great magnificent mile. Uh, now Maria and Kelby, they, they're adventure, ad, adventure seekers and, and, and interested in shopping, so they had their adventure experience on the Magnificent Mile. Uh, Peyton and I opted for the Chicago Art Institute, so we got, uh, we got our adventure there. That's awesome. Well, a little birdie told me that uh, you got a chance to take in uh, an uh, adventure with nature on the east side of the state. Yeah, it was, uh, we took a, uh, a little hike, the uh, Indiana Land Trust. Uh-huh. And so we took a hike through one of the oldest woods, natural woods in Indiana, and looked at a lot of really old growth trees, talked a lot about what the landscape looked like 400 years ago, and, you know, got to see... Some really beautiful trees. They weren't huge, but they were old. Uh, see some black walnut trees and uh-huh. things like that. So uh, it was really interesting, kind of a little history if you're into that kind of thing. So it was a good two-mile hike. and That's a, that's a good hike, you know, um, two miles in, uh, out in the wilderness pretty yeah. much. You know, they're just farm. They're family woods that have been, you know, in the same family. They, uh, they were donated to the, the Indiana Land Trust probably 40 years ago uh-huh. and uh, one and it was it was interesting because you had an old growth forest right next to what used to be a field uh-huh. uh, it was a field in the 70s uh-huh. but to look at it now uh, you wouldn't recognize it as a field because you know a lot of poplar trees grow up uh-huh. you know so it's it's becoming forest again so it's it's really cool I think there's something about being in nature and with nature is rejuvenating and refreshes the spirit. Okay. Um, how did you feel after your after your 
uh, hike. They're always, you know, you always feel really refreshed after a good walk. And, uh, you know, just spend time with family. Casey, my daughter, she was visiting. Uh-huh. And Amy's sister was with us. Oh, that's wonderful. So um, there, was, there was about 30 of us on this walk. So it was... Wow. It was, it was informative and... It was just a good time to get out. I think that, you know, thinking about human beings and our relationship to nature, coming back from being immersed in nature, and thinking of human beings as a, as a part of nature. Right. Our topic today about creativity. Uh, you know, you and I, when we, you know, back to our, chain, our switch, our pedagogical switch over to TAB. Yeah. Uh, back in, in the uh, early early 2000s. And, you know, we could see children's dispositions changing in the art room. The emotional conditions were elevated. Uh, there was joy, lots of joy. Lots of joy. <laughs> I was not, <laughs> I didn't have to police people like I, I used to. Mm-hmm. And I, I would uh, account... I would, I would take into account that children's natural predisposition to be creative human beings was tapped when, when we first started doing TAB. I, I would agree. Um, you know, there's talk about when we think about creativity, there's uh, a lot of people who naturally think of the, the, the big things, the, you know, Thomas Edison and the light bulb. Uh-huh. Newton and gravity, those those big things. Uh, who was it? Who was Edison? He said, uh, you know, creativity is 1% inspiration, uh-huh. 99% perspiration. Yes. and It's hard work. It is hard work. And creativity is one of those things that uh, we try to promote in our class. We try to develop. And I, I was talking to you the other day about um, can we teach creativity or is it something that we all have the capacity to be creative. We just need the environment to be nurtured to yeah, be creative. Absolutely. The the reason I think that we saw you know uh, the spirit children's spirits soar uh, once we switched over to tab is because we were offering multiple opportunities for children to access their natural creative beings, mm-hmm. and so and that's why you know things emotions were lighting up like Christmas tree lights. You know we could see children's emotional realms elevated right. uh, once we switched over and and lots of happy children in the classroom because we were diversifying creative learning opportunities and not just offering lots of creative learning opportunities but allowing natural interests uh, natural uh, predispositions to manifest themselves in the classroom so f- when I say that, and I, I'm thinking about back to curriculum and offering different centers in the room. And so Lowenfeld uh, had the um, observation that when he was working with children, he noticed two different creative types. He called them creative personalities, mm-hmm. visual learners, and uh, which would be you know children who are really good with fine motor skills, uh, drawing and painting realistically, sculpting realistically, and then he had he called another type of of uh, creative learner. He called them haptics, and uh, haptic learners were 
emotionally driven children who were interested in kinesthetic experience with the material they were getting into the material immersing themselves uh, into uh, full body experiences sometimes that's, that's the messy part of art education <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's probably one of the things that as as a tab teacher coming from a discipline based where you have to give up a lot of control there's a lot of neat people in art education who don't like messy stuff and and it drives them crazy to have yeah. those haptic learners in a classroom yeah i'm a haptic learner you know i like whenever i draw or pad get into it uh -huh. i prefer not to use brushes i'll use my fingers uh -huh. um and just you know i like to touch it and i won't eat it but <laughs> They smear it, they grab it, uh -huh. you know, and that's just part of my process. You describe yourself as a haptic learner, but you draw and paint very well, and you are uh, excellent at uh, any kind of artistry that you apply yourself to. And you yourself, with your paper smashé, that was a very haptic experience yeah. with, you know, having to mix it and beat it, and then you formed it in your hands with the glue and... That is, you know, that's very, very creative way of using just found materials. And that's yeah. something that you developed over a long period of time. One of the uh, 3D options that we've developed in, in our classrooms is taking uh, re, uh, paper refuse or used paper that the children don't want to use anymore. Instead of throwing it in the recycle bin, we'll put it into a repurpose bin and we'll soak it in hot water and pulverize it and turn it into a, a sculpty clay like material and yeah, the other paper smashé that's a material interest in our in our room even at the high school level they you know they 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 love working with it so yeah and creativity is one of those things that it it's an outgrowth of a process of a certain of working in a certain way of exploring of coming up with ideas and then working with those ideas and then finding creative s solutions to problems as an artist that you're developing. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's not something that you're just born creative. It's right. It's something that you have to work at. You were born with the capacity for certain to be creative uh, organisms. Um, after all, we have attached to our bodies, we have arms, legs, um, hands, immense brains where imagination and uh, where we're endowed with imagination um, and so the the capacity to be creative uh, is uh, uh, what separates human beings I think uh, our capacity mm -hmm. for that um, to be creative organisms uh, something that uh, that we have as living organisms uh, in the in the realm of living things on earth more so than most any creature having said that there are creatures in on the planet who are very creative uh, with respect to how they create their own living environments um, and so um, or you or use uh, tools right. use of tools so I was um watching Discovery or something. They're talking about architecture in the animal kingdom. Uh -huh. And they talk about anthills. Uh -huh. uh, and you, you've seen the big anthills in Australia. Uh -huh. They're really tall. 
and you know those serve a purpose. They're uh-huh. they're they don't live in that part. They live underground. The the smokestack part of that is a cooling system uh-huh. to cool the earth inside the actual nest. I'll be Be- doing. Beavers are another animal that makes these huge architectural dams, uh-huh. uh, and some of them are 200, 200 yards wide. They're just huge, you know, mega complexes that they just keep building and building. I, I've I've seen uh, pictures of birds and seen film of birds building these elaborate nests, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in in the animal kingdom, creatures have the capacity for creativity also. Oh and, yeah, and and um, human beings uh, have an immense capacity for creativity. <clears throat> so creativity comes in handy for problem solving also. Absolutely. N- Nan Hathaway wrote about creativity uh, in her article, Smoke and Mirrors, which was an excellent tab article about creativity. Uh, and of course, Diane Jaquith mm-hmm. wrote a wonderful article entitled, When is Creativity? When is tr- yeah, I just read that. So uh, reading those articles, you know, and, th- and thinking about the authentic kinds of creative experiences children engage in in a tab classroom, um, they end up with, uh, with these creative thinking abilities. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, well, there is a process. And, you know, I've been reading some books more, more geared around the maker movement uh-huh. and creativity and there's an engineering design process. There's a creative process, you know, where you have to have an idea. It's kind of like a spiral, uh-huh. the creative spiral or the designing process where you have an idea. And then you uh, make something, you reflect on it, uh-huh. you change it, reflect on it, keep spiraling uh-huh. in until you finally are happy with it. And then it just continues to spiral, uh-huh. spiral around. I, I'm 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 familiar with that. Um, it's it's kind of like the uh, the scientific method almost. Yeah, and, it's, and so. it's there's I mean there's six or seven different spirals out there, but they're all basically the same thing. Uh, you know, thinking, making, reflecting, uh-huh. making, and it just keeps going on and, until you get something that either solves the problem or you're happy with it. Robert Root Bernstein. And Michelle Root Bernstein, authors of Sparks of Genius, um, were talking about the creative process, and uh, and they wrote about it extensively in in, in their book. Um, but the notion of problem posing and pre-questioning, questioning, problem posing, and then problem solving, mm-hmm. um, is a important part to the creative process. And, and mirrors the scientific method. Right. And so that's why uh, in, their, in their findings in Sparks of Genius, they, they make the claim that 95% of all top-notch STEAM, or I'm sorry, STEM scientists, including Nobel Prize winners, have fine arts backgrounds and are engaged in the creative process uh, with, with regard to fine arts. One of uh, a scientist that uh, is not mentioned in, in their book, but one that I'll bring up that comes to my mind uh, is George Washington Carver, who uh, his originally uh, growing up as a as a boy in Arkansas uh, during the time of slavery or post post Civil War, right after Civil War ended, uh, was interested in drawing from nature. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, interested in, um, in you know, collecting uh, flora and fauna. And uh, so he was, you know, he was, you know, engaged in the problem posing process as an art, as a young artist. You know, how am I going to represent this object? You know, how will I do that? And that's an artistic, creative problem that mm -hmm. he was posing. But later on, it as an adult, you know, manifested itself in his capacity to design laboratory research and uh, uh, problems revolving around biology. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, the, when you are engaged in authentic creative experience as, an, as an, a young artist, it cannot do anything but help you uh, later on as an adult. You, you, you mentioned scientists. Two things came to my mind. First one was uh, John James Audubon. Uh -huh. you know, yes. he, he was uh, an ornithologist, uh -huh. and his original thing was to capture every bird in America or in the world. Uh -huh. And through his efforts, we were able to you know, see what a lot of birds look like because uh -huh. they are extinct now. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't necessarily a trained artist, but he was a scientist looking at birds, drawing them, look at the lovely resource that we're left with. His original birds of a... Birds of America. Birds the, of America. The folios that I know there's one at the Lilly Library. And right. yeah, they're very, very extremely valuable uh, objects. Thinking about Audubon, you know, he was doing observation mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, and once he had collected the bird, um, he would take it back to a temporary research laboratory he'd set up, mm -hmm. pose it, and it was, his laboratory is actually an artist studio, and then, you know, he was drawing them on using grids to draw them while he would pose them. And, uh, and then send them back, send the drawings back to England for, uh, or uh, send them to his engraver to have right. them. Uh, but I thought it was interesting how he was using grids to get the drawings. Mm -hmm. And um, but I didn't know that the that the other insight that you shared with him about his interest in science before he started collecting well, birds. Well, he he was um, he became one of the earliest environmentalists. Uh huh because he saw the impact of the Industrial Revolution on the natural land. Uh -huh. And he was, he was really uh, astounded at the negative impact. Yeah. And, and, and we can see the legacy today. We can, when, oh, absolutely. And you know. um, there's... But back to creativity. Back to creativity. Back to creativity. I know. Yeah. There we go. We are. We just took a side, side rail. So during his TED talk, Ken Robinson, uh -huh. Sir Ken Robinson, famously yes. talks about how schools kill creativity. Uh -huh. And in his talk, he emphasizes uh, the importance of risk taking uh -huh. and making mistakes. I think he said, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. You know, so it's that whole concept of taking risks and that in conjunction with what's happening in education now, I, I see a lot of push towards the growth mindset, which is uh, Carol Dweck uh -huh. from Stanford. That's, that's her area of expertise, getting kids in the right attitude uh -huh. 
to make mistakes and actually be creative. But their fear of failing, uh-huh. of standing out, impedes them greatly. I think developmentally at, at a young age, when you take children uh, at, a, at a tender age of five or six, and, um, and you start giving them test prep because they have to start taking uh, standardized tests in third grade that really count, and they're actually taking them even before then. And so teachers, and I know t- teachers are cognizant of, of uh, you know, trying to be creative in, in their delivery of content, but I, I think the testing, the testing mandates skew curriculum in mm-hmm. such a way that teachers have difficulty providing, you know, regular classroom teachers, you know, they, they have pressure to get children ready for the test. So it's, it's going to narrow curriculum. Absolutely. And, and I think that's where power, the power of, of TAB in our classrooms comes in and it fills a very needed area Absolutely. in the day for the I, students. I think TAB mediates in schools where TAB is, you know, you have strong programs, TAB mediates um, the fact that uh, much of the school day is is centered around curriculum that, uh, curriculum choices that children don't have a choice in. And they're conditioned at a young age to be passive recipients of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in TAB classrooms, Children are uh, knowledge creators, and they're creating self-knowledge, and they're creating new, uh, new objects, new, new products, new to them, uh, and um, uh, and sometimes new to the teacher. And so, and that's the the heart and soul of creativity is is creating uh, new experience or entities never before observed before or, yeah, uh, or just thought Even thought by the about. student. When I'll be in Facebook and, and teachers, you know, they complain about the, the trite things that kids draw. Yeah. Uh-huh. The rainbows, the cryptic S. I don't know, an art teacher in the world that tells kids to put the sun in the corner, uh-huh. but they do. Yeah. Um, or mixing colors and... The other day I was talking with kindergarten. I was walking around. We were painting. The kids were like, I made purple. It's like, that's amazing. To them, that was an epic moment. And they were so excited. Or, you know, oh, we made navy blue. Uh Oh, you made a different, you know, shade of blue. And they're really excited. To them, that's new. That's creating, you know, something for them. To me, to show excitement and to get excited with the kids makes all the difference because then they want to do more and they want to keep pushing themselves. Uh, and we understand that, you know, these are fresh experiences in, in their eyes and we don't ever want them to lose that, the joy of discovery. Right. And that's, and that's one of the wonderful things about a TAB classroom is there's a lot of discovering going on about one's capabilities, about new, new, uh, realizing new ideas. That's a discovery. Mm-hmm. I can I can experience the power of my mind. Uh, gosh, I didn't know I could do that. And um, you know, just thinking back to what you and I have observed with children, you know, stretching their capabilities beyond what they thought they could do in a tab classroom, and uh, 
for example, you know, you're looking at your kids' work with technology and them doing the, when you introduced green screen, I saw you had kids doing, they, they were developing their own animation uh, at, uh, in third and fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And that blew me away that you had, uh, you just set up a, a little, you know, a little center for them to do animation and they were making the most wonderful animation films and they were they were discovering that they could create some very complex stories mm -hmm. and telling telling fascinating stories about their make-believe characters or other creations that uh, other things from their lives that they, they that they wanted to uh, experiment with it, it's it's funny cuz it comes and goes i used to do green screen with fourth grade now, third graders are wanting to do it. Second graders are wanting to do it. And that's great. They can experiment. And just having the kids show them, showing them how to put themselves in their own artwork, uh -huh. that adds a whole other dimension to the process of, I can create a picture, but now I can become part of that story. Uh -huh. And to see them try to figure that out, it's part of the reason why I'm here. And your role is as a living resource uh, with the children in those kinds of situations. For the most part, and I've, I've taken a peek in here when you've had them working, they're working at the center on their own, mm -hmm. and they might have a question for you, but at the same time, simultaneously, you've got kids working with painting and sculpture, working with clay. You, I know you keep your clay center open for a long time and so you've got you got kids working with clay and got the other kids working with drawing and you know it's like a cavalcade of all kinds of creative experiences going off at one time in your room the tab engine clark in your room it's it seems to be firing at all cylinders all the time every time i've come in to to check in with you it's a four cylinder vega <laughs> I used to have one of those. Uh, the the floorboard rotted out, so I had to <laughs> stick a piece of plywood in the back seat so the seat didn't fall through. So you solved that problem by by using some temporary uh, material <laughs> yeah. plywood. Temporary covered up with car carpet and sell it. <laughs> Oops. But um, well, back to you know the the question of. Uh, Creativity, it's, you know, human beings have an innate sense for creativity. There are many studies about um, human beings' capability to become creative individuals mm -hmm. and to have that, to, to develop that capacity. Yeah, I think we have to, um, we develop that creativity by offering and, and letting them engage with, you know, a wide variety, like you were saying, all the different centers, um, and so they could see the possibilities. Uh -huh. where in, say, a normal classroom, they're only focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah. Well, what if I want to do this? Well, no, you got to do that right now. So then your idea isn't good enough. And thinking about, you know, what the process for creativity is exploring an idea. Mm -hmm. And so how to, if you break it down, an idea is formed from a feeling. And so from a feeling, you can generate an idea... I know research 
I was talking about the scientific method earlier. You know, artists are looking. They're using the same principles that, that scientific researchers use. They're looking for new outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so unless you're engaged in, in the creative process, which is from an authentic creative experience standpoint, my mind, you're looking, you're researching, you're forming possibilities and new ideas to achieve something new, posing a problem, and then gathering up necessary materials to execute a solution to the problem. And then, like you were saying, going back in the cycle, right. reflecting on, you know, did how did this turn out? Was it, did it, did I, I have to make the judgment, was the solution, was this final outcome, was it, did it work out? And then revisiting that, re-editing. You're kind of just playing with it. Yes. And, you know, playing could be, you know, a physical act. It also could be a mental, like you were, you know, Nan, she talks about incubation. Uh -huh. And that incubation process, that's going on in the back of your head. And you have these eureka moments. Uh -huh. Um, but then again, as a researcher, as you're working with an idea, that's stuck in your head. And then when you're in a, in a situation, probably bored, uh -huh. and your brain, all of a sudden, you get this, it's not like a, a eureka moment or a bolt of lightning, but sometimes it just feels like it. Yeah. But it's, you've really been working on it for a while, and it's like, oh, I'll just, I'll do that. Or I'll try that. and Look and at it with fresh eyes. Look at it with fresh eyes, absolutely. I've had kids to start working on, when they're painting, to paint, instead of doing one painting, do three paintings at the same time. Uh -huh. Paint on one, and then stop and let it dry, and then work on number two. And then the, the third one, and then while they're waiting for the third one to dry, go back to the first one. So you're kind of forcing them to take a break from the original painting uh -huh. instead of working their way through. And then again, looking at it with fresh eyes. And then you see a lot of different things happening through that, that process. I like that. That's, that's, a, that's a really nice teacher, uh, I want to say, a, 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 a strategy or a, uh, it's a teacher intervention to, to help the child see new possibilities right. just differentiate what they're doing because they get locked in on a certain idea and i gotta get it done yeah but if you hack the system uh -huh. so to speak yeah you know so you that have to do three uh, and then it's like okay we'll just come back to it next week uh -huh. so they come back and then they see what they've been doing and, the, and then they can continue on so that's kind of one way that i've kind of hacked into it to, to get kids to start thinking processing creatively and I know you've come up with a lot of of ways with your art traps and, then, and it's kind of like not really tricking kids into creativity but you're 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 limiting resources or posing a question you're posing a problem yeah you have a six by six piece of cardboard yeah and then seeing the possibilities those and, those kids who get art traps I would, my preference is not to give them an art trap, as right. you and I have 
don't. I mean, we don't. We're rent. We are on the standby to give them an art trap. But um, back to the question: does, does, does school kill creativity? And you think if a human being is born with an innate sense of creativity, what? Why are children coming to school, coming to art class, unable to generate an idea, unable, lacking confidence in uh, their capacity to? self-express was that a rhetorical question <laughs> yes and <laughs> because they're so used to being told what to do being compliant yeah in the tab classroom we try to get rid of compliance there are some things we do have to have a base set of rules yeah there's you know, an expectation there's an expectation you know we have many possibilities and you know as long as kids are are thinking god i hate the term <laughs> it's uncomfortable for them when i first introduced tab the kids loved it uh-huh. it was you could see them release and relax uh-huh. but over time i do still see them either they're putting more pressure on themselves to to do more things or they've become used to it and and they do struggle with ideation and coming up with some ideas so I've been having to focus a lot on on that and which is going to be different next year because I'm going to a K4 as opposed to a K6 that's going to be exciting time for you Uh, changing it'll be a new uh, new situation back to art traps and thinking about why I have to use them my concept of the human mind is that you have you're born with innate capacity to learn and the innate capacity to create but we see many children after first second grade lose that capacity and i and back to ken robinson's premise that schools do indeed kill creativity you know the the idea that children are not allowed to act on time-sensitive ideas. They have to follow directions and they have to please, they have to come up with a single correct answer all the time. Right. Uh, you know, and, and if it's not the correct answer, um, there's going to be a penalty. So that the idea that schools can be places where children ex- experience punishments if they are uh, not providing the single correct answer then there's a, there's a uh, an outcome that's they experience as a punishment. So after a while, they build reluctance in uh, in putting in risk taking, which is what we are all about. And they and many children don't want to put themselves out there. And many times, by the time they get to high school, they don't like school. Right. They don't they don't want to be in school. My intuition is that it's it starts because we suppress the natural innate capacity for creativity in children because of the schools, the way schools are organized. Well, Clark, we, we could just, we could have a, uh, a three-day uh, I think we marathon. could probably talk about creativity forever. A mar- um, marathon. A marathon. Uh, this definitely would be something that we would talk about over a fire at Tabstock. Absolutely. And we, we haven't even talked about all the different projects that we've seen our kids working on 
in, in our classrooms all at, simultaneously. Right. And so we probably need to end this half marathon of discussion <laughs> about uh, creativity. I mean, it was a good conversation. Uh, and I don't... We, <clears throat> we know that we could base a child's education on the creative act and, and a cycle of creative experience. You could, you could re easily redesign the whole educational system based on the act of creativity. And, and, and I'd do that in a heartbeat. Instead of uh, banking knowledge, thinking about pa Paulo Freire, banking knowledge into you know children's brains uh, where it goes in one ear and out the other after a while, uh, they would really remember what they were, what their experience was, if we were basing it on the creative act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you and I feel so strongly about what we do. So we're going to wrap this up, um, but anything you want to share before we leave? I know I've been sharing a lot of uh, things on the Tab Midwest. I've been using the Clips app on my iPhone to take little tiny videos and put them together. Uh -huh. uh, people have gotten a kick out of those. I'm going to use it as a documentation tool because I can make a, a movie, a little short movie, in five minutes. And it's just with two, three minute, two, three second clips. So, you know, if you have an iPhone, you can get the Clips app. It's free. Uh, and it's pretty fun. I've shown kids how to use it as, I've, a, as a tool. I've seen those recordings. Your kids, they love talking into the microphone and, you know, thinking about the act of speaking. That's yeah. a creative act. And you're not conditioning children to say certain things, but giving them opportunity to use their, their creative capacity for speech to share stories about their experience. Mm -hmm. Another example of, you know, language development uh, based on know based on a creative experience yeah I think I'd like to get some kids voices or ideas into this podcast somehow uh, either recording their thoughts and sharing those over specific topics just to get just to share what kids are thinking uh, to give them more of a voice I know I know if anyone can do that it's you well we'll, we'll see what we could do just a reminder to our listeners if you have a question or topic you'd like Clyde or me to discuss, just email it to Clyde at seagaw at newpal.k12.in.us. You can also record your question, not that you're going to, on your mobile device and send it to us as well. Thank you for listening to the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. Never say oops. Always say ah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> oh God.